A lot of times it's uh, illegal things and uh, I'm just not interested. So you get a basement that's five foot 11 and they want to put an apartment in the basement. I'm just not going to do it. It's not legal. It's never going to be right. And so I'm not interested. Again, one of the bigger ones, again, is the stuff behind the walls because it's not pretty and it's the most expensive part. We'll leave the, we'll leave the bad wiring to the bad plumbing or HVAC and then just put, you know, put a paint job and do this stuff. So we avoid that. And in the end, it's going to cause you a lot of problems. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, your co-host for the Right Club podcast today of real estate investing in Canada. I am joined here by Danielle Saint-Jean. So Danielle, we've had a really interesting guest here today, John Tenbrinke of Blackjack Contracting. He's got really cool tips for people. He does a lot of education and he's obviously really passionate about helping real estate investors renovate their bungalows, their real estate investment properties. So what was your takeaway from this? My takeaway, and it pains me to say this because I'm a licensed realtor, but my takeaway was when you're looking at buying a property and your realtor says, this is possible, that's possible, and roughly this is what it's going to cost, don't pay any attention. Get a person like John to come in and ask him to or her if she's a contractor is it possible and how much is it going to cost before i make an offer and sign my name on that offer because afterwards you could be really disappointed so that was my biggest takeaway as much as it pains me to say that well and it's true john made some really good points about how you could lose a lot of money and that's just one thing that you mentioned there so please listen to the interview john has lots of great suggestions and recommendations there's lots and lots of great stuff So before we go to the interview, I just want to ask you to rate us on any of the platforms that you're using to listen to our podcast, whether it's Apple or Spotify or anything else. The more we get rated, the better it is that we can reach other real estate investors and help educate them. And also don't forget to go to therightclub.com where we have lots of great free content for you. So with that, let's go to the interview. Let's do it. Hey, welcome, John, to the Right Club podcast. So interesting times, huh, in the uh, the contracting business. And start, please, fill us in. What's going on? We just come off the two most interesting years of our lives. And it, I tell you the truth, it's still just as interesting now. Uh, I'm part of some networks across the states, and it's mostly contractor networking groups and stuff like that. And they predicted couple of these things that are happening for a while now. So we dealt with all the shortages. We dealt with the labor supply issue. That stuff is slowly starting to correct. Now, have costs come down? Nope, not at all. Why would they? When the gas are two bucks a liter, right? So they're going to keep it up as high as possible. Things like two by fours, which has been a great example over the last couple of years, has been basically like a sine wave, an electricity sine wave, up, down, up, down, up, down. So we've seen that. And it's still sitting at three times the cost of before the pandemic. And it's just little things like that. But what's really interesting is now that the market 
there's a lot of fear in the market, as you guys probably well know, especially in the real estate space. And it's not much different in the contracting space, especially the ones that serve real estate investors. Investors are starting to tighten up. And um, so basically what's happening is there was all that labor that was going gangbusters for the last couple of years is now run out of things to do. So the, what's happening is it's driving down contracting prices, which I know sometimes is a good thing, but unfortunately it's the desperate ones that are getting out there. So what we're seeing is there's a lot of uh, people are worried about the rising interest rates, which is affecting how they're doing the renovations, how they're going about the renovations and, and strategic renos are starting to become very more important. So it's one of the more interesting things I could ever imagine happening, but I think what you're going to see over the next year is it just start to figure itself out and level and then the fear stops and then we should get back to hopefully a pre-pandemic normal. So does that mean then that I just want to go back to what you were talking about, like people not having as much work because I want to make sure that I understand this. So as some investors are wary of rising interest rates and what kind of return they're going to get on their investment and the construction costs that they have to put into it. So then they're pulling back a little bit and then... That means that the if they pull back, there's not as much work. So therefore, the trades, there's not as much requirement for the trades. So the good trades like will always be busy. Always, always, yeah. Always. Yeah, never so, it, that. so it's the, it's what, the lower hanging fruit? Is that a good way to put it? There. <laughs> yeah, so in a polite way is that it's one of the worst industries, as I've said for a long time, because it's got such a low barrier to entry. So there's a lot of guys that really have no business being in business that are in business that are going to cause a lot of problems for the industry and themselves. But basically, in a nutshell, to explain it is that we've seen the biggest renovation boom in history happen over the last couple of years because people weren't traveling. There was cheap money. The government were doing handouts. So everybody was, instead of traveling, was working on their homes. And with the investors went gangbusters because the interest rates were so low, it was basically free money. So that drove up material shortages. That drove up labor. That drove up trades. And that is starting to contract. And when that contracts now, as you said before, the good ones are always going to keep busy but it's the ones that you need to be wary of that are going to cause a lot of problems because it is very tempting to go with the cheaper price. Now, there's a difference between paying the right price and playing overpriced, and that's completely fair. But if you're getting three bids and they're all over the map and you go with the lowest bid, you're inviting yourself into the problems because it's nothing drives me more nuts and it happens every day, especially if you're on Facebook or Instagram. And, Oh, I got screwed by this contractor. This guy didn't show up, but they went with the guy at Kijiji that was the lowest price. So that's what I'm trying to be warning about here. It's not about overpaying. It's uh, it's about being careful of that tempting, really low bid because those are the guys that are going to run off your money because they didn't charge them enough to cover their expenses. So as I said before, it's going to be a really interesting thing that happens here, but just be wary about that because the things are changing quite a bit very fast. This is really good advice coming from somebody who's been doing this for quite a while. So tell us a little bit about that. What's your story? At some point, you were in high school and now you're sitting here as a one of the top contractors in the GTA. What happened in between? So I'm actually an electrician. Basically out of high school, I knew immediately that I had no interest in like a university education. I just, I'm not, I was a hands-on type of person. My father was not a mechanic. And I learned at a very young age, I had no interest in working on cars after watching myself blow himself up for years. 
And uh, during one of those career days of school, I went to electric. Uh, they talked about electric. I thought that was interesting. And I actually started with a Ontario youth apprenticeship program, which is basically while you're in high school, you're doing the co-ops with other companies and I enjoyed it. And so I was 17 at the time. I was a licensed electrician by the time I was 22. And I was the youngest master electrician in Ontario's history at 25. Started a business at 25, because that's usually the requirements. Had no business being in business because, again, I might be really good with the electrical. Had zero financial training. So after getting your butt kicked for a few years and not making any money, I finally decided to get myself educated. And there's a lot of great... Not a lot of great, but there's some really great contractor education, and I've been investing heavily in it for the last five years. I spent over 200 grand on personal education, and and that's how I got to where I'm being. And then so basically, I was doing electrical for another general contractor who did basement suites like we did, and he was a terrible contractor, nice guy, terrible contractor. We became friends, and I made a bet with him one day that said, I bet you I can do this better than you. And he, he took the bet and we started another company within a week and we started doing jobs for him. And we won the bet. He's no longer doing it. We are, we've done 236 basement suites or something like that since 2017. And so we accidentally fell into the investor space and just stuck with it. And it's been great. I got an education in REI well, or real estate investing as we go along. So it's been a wild ride. We're going to take a quick break from the show. Right, Club Nation, just want to take a quick moment here and introduce you to Private Money for Mortgages, which is a mortgage brokerage. And the great thing about Private Money for Mortgages is if you are looking to do a flip or a burr or something that requires a little bit more work where you might not get traditional bank financing, a great opportunity to still acquire that property is with Private Money. So private money is going to be at some point in your journey, a necessary tool for you, or maybe somebody that you know, another investor to build your portfolio and knowledge is key. You can book a discovery call with Susan and her team to learn why, how, and when to use private mortgages in your real estate journey. You can visit their website, which is privatemoneyformortgages.com. And there's a free guide to private mortgages that you can get there. And also, Susan can help you with a vetting process. So when you are looking at properties, whether it's a flip property or a burr property, they can assist you with finding different financing options for these types of purchases. And again, it could come with a higher cost. Most likely it will because it's private money. But if it is executed properly with a proper exit, that is going to be key. So again, private money for mortgages, which is the number four.com. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. So I have a question for you about that. So often we talk about as real estate investors that we go out, we get bids and we choose our contractors. However, there's the other side to it. And I bet I'm betting that you also look at your customers and clients because I'm sure there's some you don't want to work with you. I'm sure you have a set of criteria. Uh, about the kind of uh, clients you want to work with. So can you talk a little bit about that? What are you looking for? Yeah, so it's, when you just start out in business, you uh, don't have that set of criteria. You just want the work to do anything. And then the problems happen or challenges happen and you quickly realize, okay, maybe we're better not served for a certain type of person. And so what we've evolved into over the years is more of an educational contracting company. So because we've been serving investors, we find that 
it's the young ones, the newbies, not so much young in age, new into the real estate investing game, and they need a lot of coaching and help throughout the process. And that ended up being our ideal customer for some random reason. Like, I really enjoy the piece of consulting, basically is what we call it, consulting. And so when you're going through the process, it's amazing how much unsales, if that's the word for it, that you try to do. Because the people come in and they watch HGTV and they want this and this. But what you have to teach them is you're not going to live here. Your two goals with this property is rent and after repair value, refi, right? That is one of the bigger challenges with dealing with a, a more newbie investor is trying to explain to them that your furnace needs replacing and you want quartz countertops. You say you can't afford to replace the furnace, but you want to put the quartz countertops. It's going to be important to do that and not so much the other one when you can do that later. So that type of thing. What we've learned is that you're a really seasoned investor doesn't need us. And that's something once it's a little more of a maturity because usually they'll be we're not, they don't need our consultant. They know what they're doing. And so they don't need us. They, so that's why they're better off to work with, you know, maybe a little lower end, but they know how to manage them well. And then within the investor space, joint ventures is very, very prominent and it's a great way. But what I've learned personally is how important it is to be involved with both sets of joint ventures, because what happens is if we don't get to communicate all the things we see about a job site or the cost on a job site, it doesn't get communicated from one partner to another for some reason or another. That's where most of the problems I've ever seen have come up. So now that's where I have to be a little more strict as a customer saying, if I'm going to be doing your project, I need to be, I need to communicate the project and the financials to both sets of parties. And because the trust factor and the, and the openness of costs and problems that could occur and how you're going to solve them needs to be communicated with both partners. So that's where I've also found that if they're not willing to do that, we're not the right fit for you. Cause that's where, again, any problems I've ever had has been through that situation. So it's been a learning curve, but now we've kind of figured out where we best serve people. Okay. You've done 200 and 70 something or whatever jobs since 2017. Give me an, an example of maybe the smallest job you've done and the biggest one. I'm trying to see a range here between oh, the sure. smallest thing you do and the biggest thing you do. So usually one of the smaller jobs we'll do is like what we call a retrofit. And basically we have a finished basement that just needs to be brought up to code in order to legalize it for a customer. And typically the lowest end one we've ever done was about 40,000 bucks and it got the place legalized into two units. And now I think the biggest project we've ever done was closer to half a million and it was a sixplex conversion. So we do that too. Where our best skill is by far doing legal second suites and duplex conversions. Just we've done so many of them. We got that down to a science. So yeah, pretty much from 40 to 500 and everything in between the average job size is 150, 180. And it's usually what happens is you take a, a, a mama, a grandma special. That's a beautiful bungalow home. It's just very dated. Renovate the main floor to its maximum potential and then convert the basement. The funny story about that is the first one we ever did from scratch was $77,000. And now my costs are higher than that. So usually the average is 150 or something like that. So how much things have changed in five years. But if you look at cost across the board, construction, subcontractors, permits, the whole deal, it's just gone up so much in a short period of time. But as a strategy for investors, 
it still seems to make the most sense because you're not going to cash flow a single family much these days, unless, especially in the area we're serving because we're, we're in Hamilton and everywhere in between and houses that were buying for 475 two years ago, we're selling for 1.1 million this year. It's, it's changed quite a bit. But uh, yeah, those are the projects. We do everything REI right now. We'll take single family homes, convert them, or we'll take existing duplexes and renovate them to get the max refine rent. And every little thing in between, we're, we don't typically do like just going in and do flooring. It's, that's not really what we're here for because you, at that point, you hire a subcontractor for much less money and to be faster. We're, we're more of the uh, project management arrangement type thing. So if you, and I'm sure you've heard this question before, but when you go in to look at, a, say, a reno, like, it's okay. So say it's your typical uh, small bungalow. It's a bit outdated and you've got somebody who's not that maybe experienced in real estate investing, but is looking for some advice, some consulting. What are the top three things that you recommend that investor do to increase the refi value? You have to go in there and look at a house on a case-by-case basis, but the number one return on investment always is painting, right? For cost versus reward. Good flooring is extremely important and durability. So that's, I guess I should prefix what that is. When you're dealing with, when you're creating a home for a rental, the idea is to have it as low maintenance as possible. So when you're looking at what you're going to do, you want to make sure that it's going to last more than one year because tenants are generally going to be rough on things. So the materials you pick and how you go about things is really important to make sure it's durability, number one. Obviously, it's going to look good. So because I'm an electrician, I'm always going to prioritize what's behind the walls before what's in front of the walls. It's not sexy but it's going to cost you the most money later if you don't do upfront and it's going to cause you the most issues. So when I, as I said before, if you have to make a choice between a furnace or some electrical updates versus your quartz countertops, I'm going to fight you tooth and nail to make sure you do that. And again, it doesn't affect my life any after I leave this job, but I know that it's going to, it's going to cause you issues. So a lot of the coaching stuff that we, a lot of the consulting stuff we do, it's making sure they know the risk versus reward of doing this now or later. Cause sometimes the people just don't have the budget or the, to do everything they want to do. So how you prioritize that's extremely important. So for rentals, generally bathrooms are big. That's going to be a big one. You want to make sure it's in good shape or if not redo it. Kitchens are always subjective, but it's always going to give you the best it's going to give you a wow factor and a good refinance. But again, if you're in a decent cabinets where you can fix it up, then you're going to do that. Flooring is extremely important. Everybody loves hardwood, but hardwood's going to get ruined every single tenant life cycle. And if you look at 375 to refinish the floors or $5 to put in brand new vinyl, and you never have to do it again. Well, that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to lead you. Bright spaces, good lighting, good safety. And so basically the top three are flooring, painting, and bathrooms, other than the fact of the major things that like behind the wall stuff. But so it's just planning, strategic planning of rentals, especially unless you're going to redo the place is challenging. So you take the budget, by the way, no one's budget's ever the right budget for a project. Everybody, I think everybody knows that. So that's one of the bigger tips I'll say is do not take advice on renovation costs from a realtor, unless they're a really experienced realtor who's done a lot of things. So I work with some great duplex realtors that know costs. 
So what's really heartbreaking is when you get someone who buys a deal on bad advice and all of a sudden they're in shambles because they didn't realize how much things were going to cost. And then all of a sudden this deal doesn't make sense. And I see it all too often. So it's who you take your advice from. There should be very few people you take like renovation cost budget advice from. That's one of the bigger tips I'll ever put out there. What you're saying is that before I buy that duplex and my realtor is telling me 50 grand will get it all fixed up and whatever, before I put an offer or do anything with that, that listing, I should go to somebody like you and get an at least a rough estimate to see if this guy is anywhere near the, the real or if the 50 is going to turn into 175 later on. A hundred percent. And that's the best thing about the last two years has taught us is that technology can be utilized so many ways you can hop on a facetime i got a facetime call scheduled tomorrow because i couldn't be there so he's going to call me from the site at least so i can take a quick look zoom pictures videos at least get a ballpark reno so that you're in the ballpark because i said i've seen people that have been told 40 grand that the project was 200 grand you know what i mean and then all of a sudden that deal doesn't make sense anymore i've seen people like i'm dealing with one right now that took advice from a a realtor and now they're probably going to lose a hundred thousand dollars on a house because they were told something could be three units when it can't the deal does not make sense anymore and by the time they get out of this deal they're probably going to lose a hundred grand and it's just because they took advice from the wrong person so when you go into a project and somebody has hired you called you or invited you some people must have some preconceived ideas of what they want. So we're going to call John and we're going to ask him to do this and that or whatever. What are the two, the say top three stupidest things that people will ask you to do over and over? And once you're finished with them, they realize that it was not a great idea, but people think that if we do that, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. What are some of these silly things that people ask you to do when you first walk in there? A lot of times it's uh, illegal things. And I'm just not interested. So you get a basement that's five foot 11 and they want to put an apartment in the basement. I'm just not going to do it. It's not legal. It's never going to be right. And so I'm not interested. Again, one of the bigger ones, again, is the stuff behind the walls because it's not pretty and it's the most expensive part. We'll leave the, we'll leave the bad wiring to the bad plumbing or HVAC and then just put, you know, put a paint job and do this stuff. So we avoid that. And in the end, it's going to cause you a lot of problems. What's the other ones? I guess, so to your first point is what they want us to do. The problem we find a lot of times is they have no idea. The ones that have the ideas where you can just reuse as much as possible or the stuff that's just never going to pass and ask us to, to work with it. I'm just not interested. I don't like it. I got a, I, overall, I think I got a relatively high standard how things are going to be done. And it's just because someone doesn't have the budget to work with you or the project in general doesn't mean that I'm interested in cutting any sort of safety or dangerous corners because I got to put my name on it. So that I would say something like that. How do you manage expectations? Because I think you've alluded to it a little bit, but people do come in with all these grandiose ideas and they see all these television shows and in an hour, oh my goodness, it goes from an absolute, oh, I want to pull it down to this mansion that, you know, with the big windows and the wow factor. (laughs) And we all know that, yeah, really? Um, who knows what they actually did? It could all just be smoke and mirrors for all we know. We mm-hmm. don't see everything that goes on. But how do you manage those expectations? Do you actually lay out a budget and show people exactly what, like if they say, I want a new kitchen, like I need, this is a horrible kitchen. I want a new kitchen. Do you actually say, okay, this will be a hundred grand. I'm just 
So hundred percent, I'm pretty blunt and I think that helps. So I have the personality to do it. I think that's one of the things is I'm pretty strong headed, but I think we get along with the customers pretty well. So if someone tells me, oh, let's just underpin this and we can add a basement. I'm okay. Okay. That's going to cost $80,000 to start. And then you'll put another hundred into the basement. That ends that conversation really fast. Your kitchen, as long as you have some experience to give them relatively accurate ballpark numbers, customer up the hill that got this idea to put a barn door where it doesn't belong. And so right now we're supposed to put it just a regular door. Okay. Okay. We can do that. That's going to cost four times what this store costs. Do you want to spend that money? Oh, I didn't realize it was going to cost that much. And it usually solves the issue. But again, educating from the start. And that's, and I think that's if you're looking for a contractor out there, they have to be educating you from the start, from the very beginning. There's no point in going through this big grandiose meeting and listening to your wish list knowing very well that this is going to take a $100,000 project to a $300,000 project without having the conversation right then and there because you're scared to talk about money. And that takes experience, to be honest with you. When we start out in business, we're all scared to talk about money because you're just going to sound like you're too expensive. But if you don't have the money conversation, I'll put it honestly up front, then this kind of stuff happens and everybody wastes their time. And then you say this idea and all of a sudden you come back with a price a few days later and they don't even talk to you again because they just think you're trying to rip them off instead of it. So that's a big part of it. And expectations is one of those things. It's a really important part to have a conversation of what the goal is for the project. This is, especially with the REI space. In homeowner space, it'd be a lot different, but in an REI space, it's really important to see what the goals for the project. Is it a burr? Is it a flip? Is it a buy and hold? Are you have partners? Are you going to refi? And you have to, and with a lot of contractors, that's a scary conversation to have. And budget is another one. People are so scared to tell the contractors their budget because they think that that they could do the job for less and he's just going to ask, take all that extra money. I guarantee you, your budget is under that guy's budget. So just discuss the budget and that way you can design a renovation around your budget. And that's why for, as you asked before, managing expectations, if you have all these conversations up front, this shouldn't be an issue. Nowadays, I've learned my lesson so much that we actually have all these discussions before we even go see the house. And then from there, and then from there, it should be pretty easy. And you're talking a lot about budget and money, but I want to bring something up to your attention very quickly before Laurel gets into the next round of question. We have a beautiful house here in Niagara on the Lake on a corner, and we were thinking at some point to do a basement conversion. So we brought one of the experts, another sponsor of the Right Club, and he came in. And you know what? Before we even, first of all, the ceiling big enough, and everything, everything's fine. But we didn't do it. Why? Because it's on a corner. So from this space to that space, there's no parking. Then there's a fire hydrant. And then there's the Canada Post boxes there. So he said, you know what? <laughs> we can do this. But then the city is not going to give you the permit because you need one more parking space. And from what I can see here, from half a block this way and half a block that way, it's not going to happen. They're not going to give you a permit. That's You need experience to give that advice. And that was, we thought that was amazing that somebody would be from a contractor point of view that he would say, don't do it because you're not going to get the permits. Yeah, 100%. And that's, you have to be able to do that. You have to say, this job does not make sense. And that's what happens when you're working more experienced contractors and they better, and not trying to find a better word, but not desperate contractors. Because if you are a guy that just needs jobs, you're going to lie your way into a job. I can go and lie in myself at a hundred jobs. Because the thing that you have to be wary of is a thing called, we call it a bait and switch. 
And I got a quick example to tell you is, so we, we go in there because of experience, my price is generally going to be higher because I've gone through everything I could possibly think of where a lot of times they'll only include what the customer says. And then as the job goes on, they're going to go after you for change orders. And we saw a recent situation where we bid against somebody and lost the job by $40,000. I don't make 40,000 extra dollars to, to lose against. So it's always a question. And we talked to them and said, okay, make sure that this is included after already signing the contract. And we found out afterwards, after they asked the question, they end up change ordering them for $45,000 and end up being more expensive because it's called, they bait and switch. And this is why this industry is not trusted. And it's a, it's a tough one, but that's, you know, what the contractor owes you is what's in that contract between you two. So if there's any more on there, even though you may have not been educated, he can legally not do it because you didn't sign a contract for that work. So that's it's one of those things. Yeah, I think you learn like both as a contractor, there's the one side and the other side as the buyer of the, the services. Yeah, you got to educate yourself. That's the message that's coming through loud and clear. So we're going to move on to the lightning round now. And I'm going to start with four questions and whatever comes to mind. (laughs) This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 M-T-G-T-E-A-M. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. So John, the John of today, what's the first thing that you would say to the John of 17 years old? get educated. Yeah. Quick, quick and simple answer is that I think in my latter half of my twenties, I was lazy on that point on the mental thing. I was working and all that stuff, but I stopped learning and that's where all my problems came from. And the moment I started learning, things started changing. So get educated. And in terms of education along that line, what is the best business advice that you have ever received from any source? So I get a lot. But you're better off not doing a project than doing it at a loss or not doing a job at doing it at a loss. So that's where that desperation thing comes in when you're young. Again, you just think you have to do everything. You have to please everybody. But if the business isn't making a profit and the business isn't, you can never grow. You can never think and you're going to live a miserable life. So one of the things I learned is just you have to treat the business first and then your customers are going to be severely satisfied from there. Okay. So question number three, what will keep you awake at night? And I'm not talking about personal stuff, but what will keep you awake at night regarding your Basically processes and systems. So it's a never ending battle, but if you want to be the best at what you do, you have to, it's, there's a book called The E-Myth and most people know about it. It's a business book and it's one of the best ones out there. So they even have a contractor's version of it. And you could sit here and run a business and have a job for the rest of your life, or you can build a business that serves you and your family and will happy customers and all that stuff. And it's all about systemization. So a lot of times a process or a system will keep you up at night. 
All right. Question number four. So anybody who knows you from the right club knows you as being a successful entrepreneur. What, in your view, is the key attribute that has made you successful? The drive to get better. I'm, I have a severe hampering thing that I'm never happy. And I, like, as in for where I'm sitting, I could always do better. We could always do better. And I think my natural drive is what's given me that success. There you go. It's, I think it sounds to me like perhaps you have a bit of the, and I know where you're coming from. It's like, it's not good enough yet. It's got to be perfect because I know exactly where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Thank you so much, John. This was great information. I think people, I don't know, I learned a lot. It's always nice to talk to someone who's passionate about what they do and who really enjoys what they do and is really good at what they do. And you're continually educating yourself. So that's great. It's great news for those of us who are real estate investors and who want to improve their the properties, whatever they are. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. So there you have it. So many tips and tricks and recommendations from John. Wow. It's just, it amazes me how much he knows and how much he's willing to share. What do you think, Danielle? What I think is after you listen to this podcast, you'll understand why John is one of the most likable and liked people that we see at the right club because he used to be one of our sponsors at live events and people say all the time what a nice guy he's so friendly and etc uh, etc et so john is a likable character but he's also a very knowledgeable character yeah. hope you paid attention yeah likable knowledgeable and uh, to me his integrity comes through loud and clear so anyway hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you the next time and don't forget at The Right Club, we want you to customize your life. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.